Hey everyone, welcome to the 50th episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is Dustin Taylor. Dustin won three consecutive national championships as the associate head coach at UVA and is currently the head men's tennis coach at Oklahoma State University. On today's episode, we discuss the idea of solving every ball, why discipline leads to freedom, and trusting that your good is good enough. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, DT, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me, Stokey. Big fan, and uh, I've been waiting for the call for years now, so excited to, to chat it up. Appreciate you coming on. You know, fall tennis is busy for a college coach. And I sent you a message, and I, I do this all the time. I kind of ask the guests, like, is there something you're passionate about you want to make sure we talk about? And pretty much everyone's like, no, we can talk about whatever. And you sent me back like 13 things in a message, which was awesome, by the way. Um, and so I picked some of my favorite things, and we're going to kind of go over them. But one of the things you mentioned that piqued my interest in the, in the message was you were kind of breaking up the game into three categories. So you kind of listed it as your hands, your eyes, and your feet. So I was wondering if you could just first kind of explain what those things are in the game of tennis. Yeah, that goes back to to my USTA player development days. That's uh, Jose Hungaris, his philosophy about, you know, how, how to teach the game. How to teach the game is first with your hands. So, you know, having the right grips, having the right right swing pass, having the right contact points. And, and you know, again, how would you how would you coach a kid? You would you put a ball or a balloon on a cone and have them just rep it out and, and hit that balloon or hit that ball just to really get the hand eye and the, and, and, and the stroke down. Right. And then the next would be the feet, you know, having the, the proper stances, you know, being able to hit closed stance, being able to hit semi, being able to hit open. And then the footwork patterns that, that, that you would walk into those, into those foot, into those stances. And then really the last one is, you know, your eyes and recognizing the ball. And so you, you, you teach the game through that is what he would preach. And then you play the game in reverse. So you play the game first with your eyes. You got to recognize the ball. Secondly, you know, your eyes are going to tell your feet how to move to get to the proper stance to then use your hand and produce the shot. So again, it was a fascinating, you know, a, a obviously pretty simple way to look at, at teaching the game and playing the game. Um, and, and it really got me to reflect on really what what am I focusing on as a coach? If you look at my career, I've worked with the 0.0001% of the game, to be quite honest. You know, the top 500 players in the world, even, even you know, our players here at Oklahoma State are probably top thousand in the world level players. Um, so really, I'm an eyes coach. I'm all about ball recognition. I'm all about solving the riddle, understanding where you're trying to get, how you're going to get there. And so I'm a big eyes coach, but I'll certainly have to drop back to to footwork, you know, if they're not producing, you know, the shot properly, then I'll have to step back to the feet. And then, you know, at, at times we'll step back all the way back to the hands, you know, and making sure that their, their grips within the parameters. But again, looking back at that, that my USTA days, how much I learned from, from Jose and from Jay Berger and from all the coaches, uh, I, I'd say that simple progression, um, really has stuck with me over the years. And, uh, and, it, and, 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 and I still follow it to this day. How could a listener out there work to improve their eyes and how they recognize the ball? Well, you know, rule number one, one thing that I, I stated was, you know, I'm a big guy about discipline leading to freedom. 
and having your having disciplines, you know, on the court and in life that will give you peace of mind and 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 freedom. That's that's essentially what we're all looking for. And uh, you know, if the if the government says that the biggest consequence, the biggest penalty in life is to take away your freedom and send you to jail, then that should probably be our biggest goal as coaches, right? Is to uh, to give you know freedom to our players. So you know, when 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 it comes to disciplines and to ball recognition, it, it you know it comes down to two simple things. One is the ball dropping. You know, is the ball dropping when it gets to you? If it is, then you need to hit the bottom of the ball. You need to tight spin it. You know, you need a tight spin or loose spin and and hit up the ball somewhat. And then if the ball's on the rise, then you need to go through it. You know, you need to commit to going through it, whether you like it or not. You know, you can certainly go through it from 10 feet behind the baseline. You just probably want to go through it with a 10 feet window. You know, we have a rule here for every foot you're behind the baseline, you want to have above the net. So if you're six feet behind the baseline, you want to be playing six feet over the net. If if the ball drops and you're six feet uh, behind the baseline, then you're playing with some shape. You're playing with some some tight spin. If you're six feet behind the baseline and the ball's still going up, which would be an amazingly heavy shot from a player, then you want to catch it at the shoulders and you want to drive through it with a six feet window uh, above the net. So really, you know, for 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 your five zero and below players, you know that that's a pretty simple way to look at the game and. You know, I'll I'll go two weeks without touching the ball and then find myself on court with a guy or find myself warming up a player for a match and uh, be like, oh, my goodness, you know, I hope I can keep the ball in the court for this guy and, you know, give him a good practice or get him a good warm up. And then it's like, no, no, no. Find balls above the net on the rise and drive through them. Let the ball if the ball you know gets in front of me and settles or if I want to let the ball, you know, reach top of the bounce and, and, and drop the, uh, you know, the slightest. Then play tight spin, play within those two uh, disciplines, and and you won't miss too many balls. So you know that that's that's rule number one is really understanding, you know, if it's dropping or if it's rising. And then rule number two is if it's cutting India, then you want to leave your hands behind and you want to you want to just go through the ball. If the ball's cutting away from you, then you probably need to pass the hand if you can. Now again, there are times when the ball's going up away from you. And you got to go through it. And that's a time when you'll see a squash shot come in because, again, they, they need to catch the outside of the ball, at least a little bit of it. Or they'll just take it up the middle or up the line because, again, they, they can't quite get the outside of the ball. But rule number one is that you go through it. Rule number two is that you understand if it's going away or if it's cutting in. I, I know that's pretty complex, but uh, that's just simple science in a very scientific uh, mind that I have, to be quite honest. You, you kind of mentioned solving every ball or finding solutions. Is that kind of what you were just mentioning with the spacing and, and figuring out that ball? Or, or what do you mean by solving every ball that's coming to you? Exactly. Exactly. We'll, we'll have guys that will say either on the rise through or ball drop, ball settle, top of the bounce, um, just recognizing every single ball and, and treating it accordingly and, and really understanding what you can and can't do. You know, if you look at an Eastern grip guy, for instance, and the ball drops on them or reaches the top of the bounce. Again, I hate saying drop. Uh, you know, I, I had some wars at the USTA about uh, with, with with Jose and Jay and and other coaches. Some some fun wars, of course. But uh, says, oh, DT, you want guys to let the ball drop? They're giving away time. They're giving away space. They're giving away all this stuff. I, no, no, no. Like I just want the ball to reach the top of the bounce. You know, so it becomes gravitational. So if you go up it, you're going to catch it, and you're going to really, really, you're gonna you're gonna snap the ball pretty good. You know, if it if it's still going up and you go up with it, that's not going to compress the ball. You're not really going to 
you're not going to really, really feel the ball that great and produce a great shot, to be quite honest. So again, I, I don't want people to think you let the ball drop like a foot, two feet. No, it's like literally right after it turns over, if that makes sense, right after the top of the bounce. So we'll have players that will, you know, just recognizing balls, solve every ball. But going back to Eastern grip, you know, those guys, if the ball reaches the top of the bounce, you know, I worked with Kudla for a number of years. And the second the ball dropped on Kudla's forehand, with an Eastern grip, you know, he's he's hooking the ball somewhat. You know, he's, hit, he's hitting the, the right side of the ball on his forehand, say. So then he's got to play with some discipline. And then he'd say, well, then DT, I, you're telling me I need to hit the ball cross court every time. Well, if it gets well in front of you, then most likely you need to hit cross court. And it, and it was funny because in the challenger tour, you know, guys didn't pick up on that that much. And, and he, he, he blew through the challengers. He went from 200 to 50, 55 in the world pretty quickly. But once he got on the strictly on the tour, guys started to play in front of him. Guys started to play short slice, you know, bunting forehand or bunting backhands into his forehand, started playing forehands cross in front of his forehand and really pinching him and squeezing him uh, on the cross court ball. And so, you know, he looks at me and says, what do I do? These guys are sitting on my forehand cross. I said, "Okay, well, if you watch Novak, he'll actually go to the forehand chip and you chip at line. So. You know, again, Kudla had two big disciplines when you played in front of his forehand. Rip it forehand cross, rip it middle. Again, if he get, can catch it a little deeper in his contact point. Or if a guy's really sitting on him, then at the last second, go to the forehand chip when it's in front of you and chip it up the line. And now you're in the great backhand to backhand add to add rally that Kudla uh, put a lot of food on his table with. So hopefully that made sense. <laughs> you, met, you mentioned a couple times already kind of getting the outside of the ball. Can you explain for people who don't know what that means, what, what you're trying to communicate with outside the ball? Yeah, so just lo looking at the ball and understanding that, you know, on your forehand, the outside of the ball would, would, would be when the ball is going right, it'd be hitting the right side of the ball. You know, hitting the ball probably if it's dropping, hitting the ball at, uh, what, four or five o'clock, right? You know, on, on your backhand, if the ball is dropping and going away from your back, the ad court, sorry for you lefties, but... Um, if the ball is going away from the ad court and dropping, then, you know, the outside of that ball would be, you know, six to seven o'clock, six to seven thirty, uh, six to eight o'clock. And then same thing on the ball on the rise, you know, uh, ball on the rise on your on the ad court. You know, you're, you're talking about what, nine to ten o'clock and over on the deuce court for you lefties on a nice scoop backhand like uh, like Cam Norrie. You're talking about, you know, two to three o'clock. So, you know, th that's really the outside of the ball, you know, and, and, and really the inside of the ball is when the ball is cutting India. You know, if somebody hooks a forehand out of their deuce court and it comes into your backhand, you know, they go line, but it's still hooking India. That, that, that'd be an inside the ball shot. And that'd be catching it, you know, if it, if it, if it reaches the top of the bounce, that'd be catching it at what, five, six o'clock. Um, and then if a guy hooks a backhand into your forehand, um, you're talking about five to six o'clock. Again, that, that's just looking at the ball and thinking of it as a clock and understanding the inside and the outside. And, and again, if balls are cutting into you, then you want to, you want to hit the inside of the ball. If, if balls are cutting away from you, you probably want to hit the outside of the ball, you know, pretty, pretty meat and potatoes. Yeah, that, that's all simple stuff, and I'll I'll try to make some videos so people can see that. But that that's a crucial thing. That's something I grew up with hitting outside the ball, made a huge difference for me. Um, you you you'll just run into trouble when you tell somebody to hit the outside of every ball because 
if you hit the outside of of a ball that's cutting into you, you you ain't gonna compress it. You ain't gonna feel it, and you're not gonna be happy about it. You know. So, you know, I, I've seen coaches say they hit the outside of every ball. You know, and that's there's times you gotta hit the inside. I'm sorry. You know, and and again. If you don't like the word inside, then say left side of the ball or right side of the ball, you know, because again, there are coaches that say inside of the ball, that's kind of a trick shot, you know, with a inside out forehand. But again, it's more just catching the back of the ball that's coming into you. So again, the back of the ball when it's going away from you is the outside. The back of the ball when it's cutting into you is the inside. You mentioned, you know, kind of creating space and that you would get in the battles with Jay Berger, who I'm hoping to get on the pod soon. Um, and yeah, and, and backing up and, oh, we don't want to let the ball drop. How can you create space as an advantage versus your opponent? Well, there's, there's two ways to look at space, right? There's space in the court, which again, sports in general, I love listening to, I love watching all other sports and them talk about creating space, right? In football, you run the ball to create space to throw the ball, right? And you throw the ball to create space to run the ball and you throw deep to create space to throw the ball underneath, right? And, you know, hockey, I grew up playing hockey and and, and it's about creating space. And, and you know, so, you know, tennis is a, is, is a game. Jose, Jose talked a lot about how, you know, tennis is a game of time. Essentially, you, you need to create time. You need to take away time. I, I'm a little bit more, it's a game of space with time being a very big element. So obviously you serve wide to do what? you open up space when you when you spread the court. So you serve wide to look to get to the open court. But there are times when you serve wide, you receive a ball, and you want to give it a little more time so the guy recovers. So now you can go behind him. Or you can go to the, then hold him and then, then still go to the open court. So, you know, th- there's space when it comes to the court. And again, we all talk about the court horizontally um, and talking about serve wide open court spread the court to then take the court. The highest level, we think a lot about the court vertically. Push a guy back to drop him. Push a guy back to roll him off. Roll him off or or bring him into the court to then jam him deep and get a short ball. You know, because again, at the pro level, you're not so much, I mean, you're, it, it is still a game of errors to a point, but you are, you're, you're looking to gain advantage at the tour. You're looking to get ahead in the point on the tour. Uh, because again, it's it, it, the level's so high, you know, in, in junior tennis and, and in, you know, recreation tennis, adult tennis, you're looking, a lot of times you're looking for the errors, you're looking for the weakness. Um, but you know, at the, at the top of the game, you're looking for advantage. And so there's the spacing component when it comes to how you open up the court and how you work with the court. And then there's the spacing issue with, you know, you and the tennis ball and, and how you strike the tennis ball, which. Again, for me, it's pretty simple. You want to catch the ball on the rise above the net so you can go through it. You can go, go slightly down on it. And then you want to let the ball reach the top of the bounce, slightly settle, where you can catch it between your knees and your, and your, and, and your hips, knees and chest, to where you can snap the ball either up if you're deep in the court and you want to get the ball up on somebody or off the court when you're on the baseline and inside the baseline. You know, simple disciplines are when you're inside the court, you don't, you don't miss long. You know, the, the, those are errors you see with the pros they're not too happy about is when they because majority of the time when they're inside the court, they're looking for a sideline and then they miss long. They're not really happy with themselves that they missed their target by probably six, seven feet, to be honest. And for those guys, that's a that's a big miss. So, you know, there are times when 
you, you know, you're playing a guy that pinches the baseline and you want to approach deep, of course. You want to jam a middle or, you know, not give him angle. There's certainly times when you're inside the court and you and you do want to play long. But, you know, you got to think when you're moving forward, your opponent's probably doing what? Moving back. When you're moving back, your opponent's probably doing what? Probably looking forward or moving forward. So, you know, simple discipline is that when you're pushed back, you know, the best players in the world, when they're deep, they play deep better than everybody else. And when they're short, when, when, when they're inside the court, they play shorter than everybody else. Interesting. I like that. I mean, Murray's, an, Murray's a prime example. That guy will drop you to death if you are looking for space when he's moving forward. He, he will make you look. When he would play Chela and he play the, uh, the, 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 clay, the true clay quarters of the world, you don't see too many of them anymore. He'd hit 40 drop shots a match, 30 drop shots a match, you know, just because he knows he's moving forward, they're moving backdrop, you know. And so, again, the best players in the world, they play deep on deep better than everybody else. Their defense is nasty. Novak, you get that guy deep on his back foot, on his on his backhand, and he'll put that thing two feet from the baseline, and you're you're back to neutral. And then, you know, these guys play short on short better than everybody else. They 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 have the ability to snap the ball off the court, and they don't crash into balls and and play through the court when they're they're inside the baseline all the time, and they have the ability to drop a lot. We we've talked about a lot of on court things that that you mentioned earlier. And you said you might have some outside the box drills that maybe could help with some things. I'm curious what what type of drills you guys are running in practice that might kind of relate to some of the concepts we've talked about already. I'd say a big drill is heavy through. You know, very simple. Again, windy conditions, tough drill to do. You know, depending on the level, still somewhat. I'd say if you're a top 50, top 100 junior, you can certainly do it. If you're a three five, now probably four zero and above player, you can do it. But one guy's looking to play shape and play hot and play uh, play heavy, not not crazy heavy, but heavy. And again, according to your court position, so five feet behind the baseline, five feet over the net. And the other guy's looking to find the ball at the shoulders and drive through it. You know that that's a drill that's just simply you understand your contact points, and you understand that the game is really about four contact points. It's about having a contact point on both your forehand and your backhand where you can shape the ball and snap the ball. And then having a contact point on both your forehand and your backhand that you can go through the ball. You know, you look at the rankings, you'll slide right down challenger level. There's always somewhere for the majority, unless the guy's just mentally very, very weak or physically not fit enough. There's, there's a, the rankings are the most accurate thing in the world, right? majority of the time when you when you come to you know the 175 on down there's going to be a spot within those four that the guy struggles with you know and that's why they're ranked where they are and they get exploited and they get exposed the higher the level guys struggle to take the forehand on the rise and and they always give up court or they play up on up and they play short and they give you short balls or they shank balls they miss balls so one out of the four typically you know, guys struggle on and, and it's our job to find that and expose it. But uh, that heavy through will really show you which one you, which ones you own and which ones you need to work on. So heavy through is just a live ball drill. Nice. One place heavy, one place through. You can do a lot of variations. We do one guy plays heavy. The other guy plays two through one heavy, two through one heavy. Then we have another variation where the guy that's playing heavy when he throws in a slice, they switch. The other guy then starts playing heavy. You can, I mean, there's hundreds of ways that you can 
either keep the drill or open it up into points, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, Cross-court games, those are huge. We play a ton of cross-court games to understand space. Again, if you look at soccer, you go to a soccer practice at the highest level, they, they play small box, they play small field, and they're trying to they're trying to open up space. They're trying to create space in a small area. And they know if they can do that in soccer, then once the field opens up, they probably can do it uh, on a huge, on a big field, right? So same thing in this drill. You know, you, you play cross court, but you can drop shot anywhere and it opens up the point. So, you know, this is how you learn how to play different gears, how to play different heights, how to play different spins, how to play in a small area. Own your shot, forehand cross court, backhand cross court. Again, we got guys, I'd say the newest revolution that we've had here at Oklahoma State is, is gosh, we're having guys recover out of their forehand corner that have some of the best backhands in the world. What are we doing? Like, well, And we're making them play the forehand, the, the, the deuce to deuce cross court game with forehand only. What are we doing? So we've actually, we, we've got a guy, Derek Pham, who's grew up down in Australia, Brisbane, and and he's known as having the best backhand in all of Australia. And there's some good backhands down there between Kubler and Millman and and we're having him play play the the deuce to deuce game a lot with his backhand. And whenever he does hit a forehand, just kind of sit there. Don't recover. Why recover? To find another forehand moving left, getting jammed? No. Look for a backhand. So you kind of understand how many forehands, how many backhands you want to hit in this drill. And Again, you you really understand space. Um, you understand time. If somebody hits an angle and opens you up, you you chip it or you 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 play with some height and some time. So cross court games are huge, and they don't they don't gas you out, right? I mean, again, you know, one thing we're really keen on this year is making sure we don't we don't wear out our guys, wear out the dog and our guys. So when the lights turn on, they still have they still have some some gas in their tank, and and they're ready to be the best competitors they can be. We've talked a lot about these on-court things uh, that, that can help your game. And there's two kind of non-physical elements that we discussed in our messages before. One of them you already touched on, which was having discipline and how discipline leads to freedom. Can you kind of elaborate on what that discipline looks like in your tennis game? I mean, we, we've, we've got disciplines all over the place from from eating you know, eating an hour and a half before you practice, you know, that, that, that that's going to allow you to digest. That's going to allow you not to be processing during practice. You know, we're in a time now where we're all looking to have as much confidence as we can and, and instill as much confidence in, in, in people around us as we can. For me, confidence comes from just completed tasks or complete or, or sticking to disciplines. So the more disciplines we can create for our player, the more they can pride themselves on when they do it right. You know, it's like waking up and making your bed. If you say you're going to make your bed every day this week, you're going to feel good every time you complete that task and you make that bed in the morning. You know, that's why you do it in the in the army. So for us, committing to if the ball is on the rise, hitting through it, committing to if the ball reaches the top of the bounce or it settles, shaping it, you know, not having any ball drop drives, not having any up on ups is what we call them. That's a very simple discipline that they're focused on on every single ball and every single ball that they do right they're like I did it and that felt good you know a big one that we had at, at, at Virginia and we've carried on over here is you know the management of the match and every time that you lose two points or more you go to the towel and you slow the tempo of the match and so whenever I would see a player 
especially in those big moments of Virginia and those national championship, you know, moments. And they didn't go to the towel after two two points they lost. I knew that they were they they were blurry. They they, they were they were not present, and they 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 were probably not thinking about controllable thoughts. They were probably thinking about uncontrollable thoughts. And so we'd send them to the towel, and then they would be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, good discipline. I hit the towel. Um, all right. If I win the next point, then I need to show positive reaction." I lose the next point, I need to go to the towel again. Now you're in controllable thoughts, which for me, life's all about. All of our darkest times will come when we're, when we're wrapped up in our uncontrollable thoughts. All of our brightest times, our best moments in life will be when we're present. So, you know, those are two big disciplines right there. You know, it's, it's, it's an Aristotle quote. Actually came across it from Tony Bennett, who I studied when I was at University of Virginia. He's a Virginia men's basketball coach. He's one of the best coaches on the planet. He talked about his team losing to George Washington, how much they just they they wanted to play free, but they lacked the discipline to play free that night, and that they better understand that discipline leads to freedom. And I was like, wow, my light the light bulb went off. And uh sure enough, kind of threw that into to a Google search and it's Aristotle. Uh, through discipline comes freedom. And um yeah, I've kind of lived my life and coached the last since Virginia days, kind of with that in mind. You, you kind of mentioned how that discipline can also lead to confidence and how important that is. Trust and belief are so big for all these players. Can you talk about trusting your gut and your feel and also maybe something that's very difficult for most people that trusting that you're good is good enough? Yeah, especially in today's times, right? I mean, we're 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 all having to fight that fight. I mean, I'm having to fight that fight as a coach, as I as I as I listen to pregame speeches and I listen to interviews and I, you know, there's just so much content out there to compare yourself to others that it that it's just a tough time to always compare yourself to others, you know, and, and your peers and and your your competition. Just trusting that your best in whatever we're doing is good. You know, your good is good enough, um, which I love because, again, I, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be with players that have played the best players in the world. You know, Roger, Rafa, Novak, Murray, everybody. And that has to be the message. Otherwise, you waste an insane opportunity to really, really gauge where you're at and what you need to improve. If you just go out there and you play Roger and you just try and hit every ball for a winner and you just you just serve first serves both serves and you just completely play out of your out of your 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 realm and not trust that your good is good enough, then you waste an unbelievable opportunity to measure up and understand where 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 you stand if your good is good enough and what you need to work on. So you know with with, with all these junior players, hopefully if you were listening and 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 all these adults that are that are passionate about the game and trying to trying to climb the ladder, you know, always trust that your good is good enough. Let it get exposed. And, and then you, you find opportunity to, to really improve, you know, don't think cause you're a three, five and you're playing a four five that you need to play out of your realm. Who knows? Maybe your good is good enough. I mean, I, I had that talk with Dennis Kudley he played semifinals of Halle against Roger Federer. And, uh, you know, we sat at the dinner table. He was making a great run. He had that, that week, it's a 500. He just broke in back into top 75 in the world. Thanks to it. Uh, went through blue through qualifying has had a great week. He's playing some of the best tennis I ever witnessed in my life. We're sitting at dinner. He's like, 
man, last time I was on the court with Roger was at Indian Wells and he just embarrassed me, you know, what are your thoughts DT? And I was like, honestly, Dennis, like you got to trust that you're good is good enough against Roger. Like you, you got to trust that, that, uh, and he's human. Everyone's human. I've seen that guy exposed. You know, I've seen that guy like, in the locker room. I mean, he still goes to the bathroom. I mean, it's not, this guy's not superhuman. This guy's going to get nervous. It, it's, it's, you know, everyone gets nervous. Trust that you're good is good enough and trust that he's human. So Dennis is out there and uh, on Holly, you sit right on the court in the, in the, in the coach's box, player box. And so literally, you know, Kudla's three feet away from me at times hitting his towel. And I can hear him say like, he's human. He's human. He's human. You know, throughout the match, he's telling himself he's human. And sure enough, he lost six and five and had four, three, love 40 in the second set to, to show that Roger is really, truly human and that Dennis is good, is good enough. So, yeah, you know, that, that's the fun part is just always trying to measure yourself, but, but also getting excited, removing your ego and, and, and being grateful for when you do get exposed, you know? I, so I dropped the ball. I, I went on a, a trip this last week to visit my mother-in-law in Seoul, South Korea, and I'm, inc- I'm incredibly jet-lagged. Uh, so nor- normally I do a story where I, I let people ask you questions on Instagram and completely forgot to do it. But I'm going to ask you real quickly two of the most common ones I get. Okay. Uh, the first one is, what is the best coaching advice you've ever received? Wow. Um... Again, I, I'd go back to Tony, Tony Bennett, who wasn't my coach, but he was coach of national championship, Virginia Cavaliers. And, you know, his explanation of discipline leading to freedom, you know, that, that, that's been life changing for me in a lot of ways. Um, maybe life changing for my players. We never, the humbling thing about coaching is you never know the impact could be positive, could be negative. You're just doing your best and hopefully from the right place. But yeah, probably the greatest piece of, of coaching that, that, that really, really lit the light bulb for me, you know, especially over the last 10 years is, you know, the, the concept of discipline leading to freedom and that we're all, we're all ultimately seeking freedom and peace of mind. And the way to truly uh, achieve that, obtain that is, is, is through discipline and discipline is actually a good word. We think of discipline as a, as a bad word at times, especially back looking back on our childhood, we were disciplined, but uh, yeah, that, that'd probably be number one in my book. And Probably the number one thing that I talk about to to our team and and to my children. You know, I got five of them, so it's a it's a message I'm saying a few times a day, probably. That's a packed house. And the the last one you mentioned, you worked with whatever it is, the point zero 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 one percent of the world. Uh, unfortunately, the four zero player is not in that point zero 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 one percent. But what would your best advice be for a four zero player? Best advice. Just always have an opportunistic mentality in life when you compete. Um, I, the best players in the world are the most opportunistic people that I've seen. You know, they get broken first game. Great. What an opportunity to break right back and, and, and give them a little taste and rip it right back. They lose the first set of a tournament. Great. Um, I, I, I need to get uncomfortable. I, I, I need to be pressed. And, and this is perfect. They lose first round. Great. Like, I have a full six days to prepare for the next event. I got exposed. This is what I need to work on. It just, it never ends with the most successful people in the world. Their excitement about exposure, getting exposed and finding opportunity, whether it's opportunity when you win 
And great things happen or opportunity when you lose and bad things happen. I would say just become opportunistic in, in, in your tennis and in life. And you can't make a ball great. Like that's practice. Practice is when you are struggling. Don't kid yourself. Um, that's what, what your career is defined by is, is how good you are on your, on, on your worst days. How many matches you can find a way through. Because everybody can win when, when everything's going well. Everybody can win on those days. You know, the, the, the best players in the world, they've found a way to, to win on their worst days and have their, their variance be pretty small from their top end to their low end level wise. DT, this has been awesome for me. Like, like we messaged before, I love, I'm, I'm learning for free. You've given us an hour of your time. The life of a, a college coach in the fall can be super stressful, especially with all the tournaments you're hosting. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I'll be rooting for you guys this year. I'm a size large. Dry fit <laughs> just and, need your address, Loki. Like yeah, exactly. I gotta get that Duke Blue off of you. Although I like Duke Blue a little bit more now that I'm over in the Big Twelve and, and no longer Virginia. So right, I, I I'd love to send you some some orange that has Oklahoma State because I know you're not putting on the UVA orange. That I do know. Yeah, that that one I'll never be asking for from Andres, <laughs> but uh, I could wear Oklahoma State. But yeah. thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate your time. No, thanks for having me. All right, I want to thank DT for coming on the show. He's obviously very passionate about the concept of discipline leading to freedom and how to solve every ball, whether it's dropping or rising, and what side of the ball you need to hit. But I really liked how he talked about getting exposed and trusting that your good is good enough. Put yourself out there, play your own game, and you'll either learn that you were good enough or you're going to leave the match with specific information on where you need to get better. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode and leave a comment or review so we can keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram at Stokey Tennis for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a ball.